This week, I'm talking tiny houses with Michelle Boyle, the designer, builder and host of a tiny house village in Oregon. And then Mike adds in a resource that he found if this is something you're interested in getting into. My book of the week is going to help with your content, whether it's writing listings or blog posts or newsletters or email marketing campaigns. Everybody Writes by Anne Handley is a must have in your Kindle or on your bookshelf. So get listening. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new, and what will help make your business a success. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. I really like that music. I know we're only four episodes in to the new format and the new music, but I'm really liking it. I think I mentioned Mike used it on a video he did years ago when he was sailing in Thailand. He and Andrea created this video as part of a competition. It was a sun sail competition and they actually won second prize in that competition, won themselves another sailing holiday. If you'd like to go have a look at that video, which has got that music, uh, I will put the link on it uh, in the show notes because it's one that we've watched over and over again. And I know Mike and Andrea watched it as they were building up to their great sailing adventure earlier this year. When we started looking at uh, music to go on the new format of the podcast, We went through hundreds of different music clips. This one, in in fact, it was was my husband, Phil, who said, we should use that one that was on Mike's video because it's been in our heads for years. So there you are. That was the history of how we found that music. And and I just just love it. But I, I do know that over a period of time, you know, music gets a little bit stale and, uh, and we may look at changing it in another hundred episodes, maybe. So uh, we're talking tiny houses today. You know, there's not much you can't rent as accommodation today. And I looked up an article on housebeautiful.com and it has 10 of the most unique Airbnb rentals from around the world. And it's just amazing what is, what is out there and what you can rent. So in that article, they've got a bamboo house in Bali for $65 a night. So, you know, think living out your inner eat, pray, love fantasy. And then a sheep, how about a sheep wagon in Wyoming? Yeah, this is a restored 1920s sheep wagon complete with wood burning stove and a full size bed. And you have access to the 3000 acre ranch as well. I don't know whether you can actually sort of drive, you know, get a horse and drive your sheep wagon around the ranch. Probably not, but you're going to pay $125 a night for that one. And then, you know, going up a little bit, you've got a tree house in downtown Atlanta and that comes complete with antique furnishings, a balcony, a hammock and string lights at a mere $375 per night. And there's airstreams, there's yurts, there's old planes. In fact, anything that can be converted into a space with a bed 
and at least a composting toilet and some means of cooking either inside or out, you know, can make the grade. Really, you're only constrained by your imagination. And then there's tiny houses, because maybe that's a little bit more conventional. And I looked up thetinylife.com because I wanted to know, you know, what, I, what exactly is a tiny house? What's the definition? T- thetinylife.com puts it quite simply. The trend towards tiny houses has become a social movement. People are choosing to downsize the space they live in, simplify and live with less. People are embracing the tiny life philosophy and the freedom that accompanies the tiny house lifestyle. The tiny house movement is more about is, is, is about more than simply living in a small space. And today's guest, Michelle Boyle, embodies this trend towards this kind of simplistic living. Michelle designs, builds, and she rents out her tiny houses near Portland. And while the typical small or tiny house definition is a home with a square footage of between sort of 100 and 400 square feet, one of Michelle's creations is only 48 square feet. Seriously, 48 square feet. And it achieved close to full occupancy this past summer. And she rented at $71 per night. I suppose you could put another sort of meaning on to achieves close to full occupancy because put two people in it and it's going to be pretty full. But you've got to take a look at this tiny house because it has everything that a couple or a single person would need in overnight accommodation. You know, from the outside shower to the little deck and the barbecue. So we're going to talk to Michelle. Everything we're talking about is going to be on the show notes and you really need to go there to have a look at all the Airbnb listings, uh, to look at her blogs as well, because she has a separate website for each of the tiny houses and they're showing how they are built and, and how she creates the design of each one, because each one is entirely different. So Michelle tells her story of how what started out as a necessity for her to downsize turned into a passion. And so much so she's built this tiny village on a disused Christmas tree plantation where she also lives in her tiny house. So I'm delighted to have with me today Michelle Boyle, who hails from Oregon, and she's going to talk all about tiny houses. And I love this idea and I know how passionate you are about this, Michelle, because I have watched some videos and just apart from being completely hilarious, your passion just shows through every (laughs) single one of them. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm glad. I'm glad you're enjoying some of my embarrassing moments. <laughs> well, I'm definitely putting one of these into the show notes so your embarrassing moments can go beyond the 1.9 million views that that video already <laughs> has. <laughs> so not only, I mean, we're going to be talking about your passion for tiny homes, but the reason that you're here on the Vacation Rental Success podcast is that you are building the tiny homes and then putting them on to Airbnb and you're renting them out. So I know there's a lot of people out there who listen to this who have mentioned in the past, they, they, they've got some land, they're thinking about what to build on that land and maybe it should be tiny homes. So I think you are the perfect person to talk about the 
you know, the sort of design of your tiny homes and what you've done with them and the success you're having at renting them out. So can you kick off and just tell us what your backstory is about this passion you have? Um, Well, they say that necessity is the mother of invention. And that's definitely true for this whole story or for basically my whole story. So I, I moved to Oregon basically with the clothes on my back after my second marriage imploded. And I was a single mom for, you know, 12, 13 years and just putting everything I had and paycheck to paycheck kind of existence and everything I had into getting my kids, you know, raised and and grown. And so as my kids were about to graduate from high school and heading off to college, and then suddenly I turned around and looked at the rest of my future. And I was like, oh, crap, I don't have a plan. I don't have any money. I don't have a 401k. I don't have savings. I have no plan about what now I'm going to do to take care of myself. So my first tiny house, the concept really was just basically step number one was I have to reduce my overall living expenses, right? I have to get to the point where I can afford to live on not much. So I started the design of my first tiny home, the one that I live in, in 2014. I financed it with the help of sponsorships. So that was something that was really and continues to be very unique about my process. I reached out to huge international level sponsors and said, hey, have you heard about the tiny house movement? Would you like me to become your ambassador and feature your products and installation videos and photos. And and so I was lucky to get a lot of really, really great sponsors. And so my first house was completed in, in the fall of 2015. And in 2016, then House Beautiful magazine had declared it the fourth most popular house of the year, which was amazing, right? To have some, to have an outside the tiny house publication, give me those accolades. That was astounding and amazing. And I was blown away. So in 2017, I did a lot of travel actually for the tiny house, the various events and so forth. And then in early, well, mid 2017, I was like, I think I want to get into this industry, right? It's still a side hustle, right? I I have a, a regular job, but I think I want to get into this industry. And so I looked at all the different ways. Could I be a builder and build them and sell them? Or I could do blogger or do workshops. And I kind of landed on the hospitality version. It it kind of it scratches all my creative itches, right? I collect the materials. I manage the sponsors. I build the houses. Um, you know, I mean, I have contractors and so forth. But I'm the, shall we say, the general, the general contractor, the builder. Um, the things that I can't build myself, I actually hire people, of course, to help. I decorate them and put them in place and host them. And um, it's been really, it's my success so far has really even exceeded my own expectations. That's a fantastic story. And let's put it in perspective. When we talk about tiny houses, what are we talking about in terms of square footage? Because for some people, a tiny house could be probably a bit larger than some of yours. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Because really, the truly the terminology regarding tiny houses, people even disagree within the tiny house industry. So thanks for asking that. For my tiny houses in particular, my smallest one that I list on Airbnb is 48 square feet. 
So that, blows, it is, that really blows me away. Forty-eight <laughs> square feet. Now my yeah. math, my math is not very good, but that sounds like eight by six. Yes, it is eight feet wide. It is six feet deep. It has bunk beds, a little kitchenette, a drawer, toilet, a refrigerator, and then there's a big deck that surrounds it. And has a shower and, and a kitchen. Uh, the cooking appliances and everything are outside. But that's the smallest one that I have on Airbnb, and people. They love it. It's my second most popular one. The house that I live in is 204 square feet on the main floor. So the actual trailer, all of mine are also on wheels. People call it my little mobile empire. They're all on wheels. The one that I actually live in is 204 square feet on the main floor. But if you include the two-bedroom loft, it's a whopping 374 square feet. So the other three houses that I have on Airbnb, the other three houses, they all fall somewhere between that. I have a I have a 148, I have a 176, I have a 119. So they're all kind of in that range from 48 to, to 204 square feet. Um, how do they start, Michelle? I mean, do you build them from scratch or do you get something that's already built and then renovated or what? So actually I have built six houses. One of them was for a very special client. I don't know if we'll get have time to talk about that one. That one was a was a build from scratch, but it's it's not part of my little collection. So out of the collection of five that I have here, three of them were build from scratch designs, my own concepts, and two of them were I guess you would call remodel for lack of a better term. So kind of all of the above when it comes to my houses, especially Airbnb, Return on investment and the math associated with the project is is a huge driving factor for me. Obviously, I don't want to put a ton of, and I build them with, with my own cash as well. So having the cash and the sponsorships, getting them, you know, up and running and then getting the return on investment is a big factor. So the remodels, of course, end up being slightly less expensive than my build from scratches. But they're a lot more challenging. Imbuing, imbuing, uh, and, you know, making my design show in someone else's house is a little bit more challenging. And then the one I'm working on right now has been, a, anyway, long story short, the remodels are definitely more challenging. Um, but <laughs> they end up being less expensive. So they end up being actually more lucrative. Well, I'll put a link to your blog on the show notes as well, because th- th- there's some really great information in there on some of your, your projects and how you go through them. Really, really interesting to take a look at. I also wanted to ask you about the decor, because one of the things that got me when I was looking through some videos, there's a lot of videos of you on YouTube, and I found one where you were talking about the decor inside of one of the tiny houses. And I don't, do you do this the same with everything? You start with some fabric or something and then the decor flows out of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that must have been in the video of the perch. So all of my uh, tiny house names, they start with my tiny. Um, that one would have been my tiny perch. So if you want to see the pictures of that one, you go to mytinyperch.com and, and, and everybody can see the pictures. So yes, that's and that's the process that I followed. I don't know where I read it. I probably read it in a decor magazine a thousand years ago. But the process has really rang true for me in that, yeah, and the purchase started with about $400 worth of Ikea fabric. It was very colorful. It was somewhat modern, but, you know, um, and flowers, but not really 
floral. It, and so it really, yeah. So all the paint colors were chosen directly out of the fabric. The architecture, it's got a very sort of modular or excuse me, modern architecture was chosen from the fabric. And so, yeah, that's the process that I follow when it comes to decor, especially when it comes to, again, matching your floor color, the wall color, the the window coverings, um, all the paint colors, cabinets, everything is very intentional. I have the saying that is whatever look you were going for, you missed. And so I'm really, really particular, especially about paint color and making sure that the blue is, you know, is a precise match to the blue that I want it to be. Not just any blue will do. Not any blue will do. <laughs> now, which is the one that has the more of the masculine feel? So that one is actually called MyTinyHideout.com. Um, and that is my newest one that I just added to the village. It was an instantaneous hit. And um, I mean, it was booked 97% the first month it launched. It was amazing. And that one, again, because the perch was very light and very bright and yellow and orange and blue and green and not really feminine, but definitely like I said, light and bright. The hideout is way more masculine and dark. The walls are actually stained with navy blue stain, which was a huge, huge labor of love. (laughs) The floors are black. The countertops are black. The ceiling is navy blue. So that one is, is the hideout has been a really, really popular option. The, The curtains in that one are actually flannel. It's actually just a green and blue flannel. I really went overboard in the curation of the, the, shall we say, tchotchkes. Normally, I don't do tchotchkes because you have to dust them and that's a nightmare. Um, but in that particular case, I have some display boxes. It took me two and a half years, actually, to curate the full collection of all of the unique art and, and features and tchotchkes and everything in that particular house. So that's amazing. And I, I do encourage any, everybody listening to go and look at these photographs because you know, I, I can see that, the, that there could be, for some people, the idea that it would just be easier just to do the same thing over and over again, just rinse and repeat. And then you've right. got this collection of things, that, of houses that look exactly the same. And I, I just right. love the idea that each one is so independent and unique. Now, they're all on one piece of land, can you tell, yes. tell me about that, how you, you caught, talk about your, your tiny house village. So right. what does that mean? So it was actually a bit of an accident. And so when I went out to find a spot to park my tiny house on wheels actually to live in, which I also at the time had been traveling a huge amount as well. I mean, I was when I say originally live in, I was still gone like almost half the time. But So I started networking in the local community and I went onto a Facebook page and posted, you know how all the the neighborhood, the community Facebook page, they have all these rules and regulations about what you can post and don't. And I totally broke the rules and I posted a picture of my tiny house and I was like, looking for a spot, looking for a spot. And before they could pull it, before they could pull my post off the Facebook page, I actually had four people that contacted me and they were all more than thrilled. Oh, come see, you know, I want you to be on my spot. So I actually ended up parking um, at a spot. My son graduated with their son from high school. So kind of a, a connection there here in the town. And it's an old Christmas tree farm. And so they used to grow Christmas trees. They shut down the farm and the spot where I'm sitting 
used to be where they had their RV. So you would get your your axe and your hot chocolate and you would catch the tractor and ride down to mm-hmm. the right. So they have a they used to have an RV here, but when they shut down the Christmas tree farm, they sold the RV. And so there's this flat spot right next to the barn. It's got the little power pole, right? The temporary power pole and the and the water spigot and everything right next to it. So that was a bit. And then a few months after I had moved in, I was walking around down in the lower section and I noticed there was a, um, it's called a freeze-proof pipe stand, right? It's it's where they got the spigot sticking way up out of the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a wire also. There's a big, long wire about, I don't know, six feet long, just this white wire, bare wire sticking up out of the ground. And so I asked the land host, what's the story? And they said, well, we were going to build a cabin down there, replace the RV with a little Santa's cabin at the entrance of this, of the tree farm. And, you know, the light bulb went off and I said, well, what if we, what if I, you know, design a tiny house, we'll put a tiny house down there and then see if people would, you know, like to come stay here. And you've got the, you know, the, the power is right there. The water's right there. We'll put the first, you know, put the house. I, at this point, I wasn't even thinking there would be several. I was just, we'll try one and we'll put the house there and then see how it goes. And so I launched that in February of 2018 and uh, really started to ramp up in April. And again, you know, busy season, June, July, August, September, I was like 97% booked. I mean, it was I went from zero to a hundred miles an hour really, really quickly. And I was like, Oh, Oh, wait a minute. So that house actually ended up paying me back in the cash that I had invested actually ended up paying me back in its first six months of being, you know, listed. And that was like mind numbing. I mean, it was so mind blowing that it would be so popular so fast. That was very cool. So I was like, well, whenever you build, when I build a tiny house, I was like, you always have this thing in your head that says, if I were to build another one, what would I do differently? Right. And so the best part about getting to build so many of them, and of course, getting to build them as, as hospitality units, I, I have this joke that I build, I build houses for me, with me, by me, about me. <laughs> Because I don't, I don't have to ask anyone else's permission about what I should do or what I can do, and so, so invariably, every single one of them just ends up being a, an entirely different, almost version of me. Um, I'm the one, the last one I'm building right now called the Wine Wagon. It's very on trend, and it's very sort of in a sophisticated uh, nod to current architecture. But the hideout is just kind of very, very rebellious. Some people actually call it their, you know, their kind of Portlandia version. So, (laughs) yeah, so the design concept of the village, like this whole thing has almost been an evolution. It wasn't terribly intentional, but it's been a really, really fun evolution. So do all the properties have electricity and water? Yes, yes. And so what we did was we actually pulled, um, we have 100 amps of total power that we're pulling from one of the sheds, one of the buildings in the upper section of the property. We pulled it down to the lower section. And so we basically have 100 amps. So that means every single house has 20 amps. And the last house will be house number five. So I'm basically out of electricity. I mean, as far as, you know, as far as tiny houses on this piece of land. So dare I ask about legalities? 
Um, yeah, you can ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, has anybody come along and said, mm, you shouldn't be doing this or this is great to do and here's your tax bill? <laughs> so yes and no. So first of all, the tax bill is paid through the tax bill is paid through my booking platforms. As you know, I mean, uh-huh. Airbnb and VRBO and all the booking platforms all make sure that my contribution to the tourism bucket is taken care of. So the taxes are paid that way. The payment that I make to my land host, uh-huh. that also helps them actually to pay their taxes. As far as legalities, so um, when it comes to tiny houses on wheels, all of which mine are, the local county does have some, we'll say, relatively new and relatively loose regulations, which by my interpretation, I'm good. Um, also, the state itself continues to make changes and rules and so forth. I even had a meeting just a few months ago. Um, the governor of the state actually reached out to me um, and asked me to sort of help them with their definitions and, and so forth of diverse housing options. So long story short, the laws themselves continue to evolve and the regulations are differ from one piece of dirt to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, and also as you're, as you're probably well, well aware, regulations are largely subjective as well. So yes, lots of people ask and, and that's basically the answer. I live in a way back in the woods. All of my neighbors love me. I'm, I'm loosely within the boundaries of the rules and I'll just stay that way and, until someone with a little bit more authority pushes me. It sounds like the best way to live. I love that, living loosely <laughs> within the rules. <laughs> so, here, so I have to admit, though, I mean, I have to admit, there is, there's, a, there's a vague possibility that someone could come along and hold me to the letter of some law I'm unfamiliar with and say, you know, you can't be here. And I have to admit, that is why all of my houses are on wheels. I have this vision. I, I mean, I, I, I would hate this to happen, but I had this vision of, of this long caravan of tiny houses <laughs> in different shapes heading off down the road. <laughs> and, yeah, and that, and that may happen. And that's the deal. You know, all the, the, all the money, all, all the investment that I'm making in the village is really investment in the houses themselves, mm-hmm. right? I do some infrastructure investment, but it's really in the house. The decks are all put together with screws. The houses are all, you know, you just hook them up and take them down the road. We don't, there's no permits required. There's nothing really special required to haul tiny houses on wheels, which is again, a major advantage to the style that I, that I design is the fact that there's no permits required. So I I would hate, obviously I would hate for that to happen as well, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world it would be inconvenient, but at least my investment um, mm-hmm. that I've made in the houses would be protected. And and frankly, I wouldn't want to exist in a neighborhood that wouldn't want me anyway. I would want to go to a neighborhood, a city, a, a place where I would be welcome. So far, I'm welcome. And if that ever changes, then we'll just call a few friends with a few pickup trucks and we'll move we'll move the village. And and the thing is that, you know, if you did move it, then your Airbnb audience would, would just follow you. So I, it, that, that is I, just like a perfect situation. 
what I wanted to ask you when I was talking about, in fact, when I was, I, I, I sort of segued out of it, but talking about electricity and water, what about the third aspect of the plumbing? Because I know with, um, with a number of my properties up here in Ontario that we manage, you know, we have properties on islands and they have composting toilets and it's the, it's the bane of our life is trying to get guests to understand <laughs> how the composting toilet works. How right. do you educate your guests on the finer details of tiny home living? So, yeah. So first of all, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, when a guest, any guest contacts me initially, the first thing I do, thank you very much for your interest in, you know, my tiny house village. Thank you for the opportunity to host you. You know, that kind of standard messaging that we give. And the first thing I say is as a gentle reminder we do have, a, you know, a composting or what I call a cedar loo style toilet. As a reminder, may I assume you have used one before or if not, are you comfortable using one with the instructions I have provided? And so I, I give them the opportunity. And, and twice I've had guests that were like, nope, bye. <laughs> <laughs> They they didn't even want to ask questions. Well, one of them was a young couple, and he was he was very very forthright about this. It was this beautiful romantic weekend, and he was going to ask his girlfriend to marry him, and it was such a romantic location. And then I told him about the composting toilet, and he was like, "Nope, <laughs> <laughs> not their idea of romance." So. If, if most people are okay with it, they're like, okay, well, I've, I've been camping or I'm, I'm good. Some of them will actually ask, what's that about? And so I'll either do one of two things, depending on kind of what their question is. I'll either send them the literal instructions. So I have a laminated sheet, which I place on top of the toilet so that there's absolutely no way they can say that they didn't see the instructions. They literally have to move the instructions to use the toilet. So during the booking process, I either send them a copy of the step-by-step instructions, which by the way, is really funny. I've, you know, tried to inject a lot of humor, not potty humor, but sort of like just passive humor. So I either send them that, or I'll just tell them what to Google. The, the toilet that I use is Nature's Head. It's a very, very, you know, you almost ubiquitous model. And so I'll tell them, go to the internet. There's tons of videos on how to use it. And then I assure them, by the way, they don't ever have to clean it. So that's the next question that comes up. They're like, eh, we're okay with using it, but I hope we don't have to clean it. And I'm like, no, that's, that's the bane of my mine and my house cleaner's existence is, is cleaning it. But the process, again, but over the course of time, as you can imagine, I've developed a process. We, you know, we don't touch it. We barely smell it. You flip it over, it goes into a bag, and, and it's, it's basically not a lot different than changing diapers or emptying the garbage from someone else that's been changing diapers, basically. So it's a messy process, but on the other hand, it's really, again, that is that is how how I'm able to do this, right? Because I don't have a septic system associated yeah. with tiny houses. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Well, that, that so, so, but obviously, you know, you've got a high percentage of, of bookings, so people are loving it. Yes, I am blown away. It's easy to get caught up, you know, in the, in the 2% to the 1% drama, course, because they make such great stories. But 
but I really, really am blown away. I have lovely guests that, that draw pictures and write me poems and refer their friends. And, you know, they leave me presents. They, I mean, everything under the sun, they've left, you know, little decor items, they've left alcohol, they've left cannabis, (laughs) (laughs) which was an interesting thing. Because cannabis is legal in Oregon, um, people travel from outside the state, they get here. And they, they ask me and they're like, where, where can we buy cannabis? I'm like, you know what, I don't use it. I don't, I never have, I'm, I don't know, I'm not an expert at all. So they'll go to a local store and I swear they buy the store. But then when they fly out, they can't take it with them. And so oftentimes they'll just leave it behind. <laughs> and so I collect it and then I'll have another another guest and they'll say, where, you know, do we get it? I'm like, I don't know, but this is where the last people got, you know, their stash. So that's an interesting quote unquote gift that I that I get when my specifically for my out of town guests, but I'm blown away. Really, I am. I had not anticipated again, May, June, July and August were I think 97, 98% booked in all three houses. It's been a crazy summer. I allow same night bookings. I allow single night bookings. I allow pets. And so that I, I stay really, really booked. And I've been really thankful and humble and blown away that I'm again, exceeding even my own expectations in that regard. That, you know, I'm, I'm so pleased for you. I'm so pleased that this, this all worked out like this. So for, for anybody listening who's, who's perhaps thinking, wow, you know, I, can, I could do this. Do you have tips for, for them on what they should do to start? Yeah, I mean, I think the first tip, we've, we've sort of already talked about it a little bit, and that you, you kind of have to, now this is, this is for people, for tiny houses in general, if you're going to live in it, if your mother-in-law is going to live in it, if you're going to build it for an Airbnb, regardless, when you enter the tiny house world, you just have to kind of have a high tolerance for risk. You know, again, they're not illegal, right? But they're not yet legal. And so every piece of dirt, you know, in this country and probably yours has different rules about what you can and cannot do. Now, once you know what those rules are, then you get to decide whether or not you're going to color inside the lines or color outside the lines when it comes to the use, you know, of your particular tiny house. Portland, downtown Portland in Oregon, for instance, the most generous application of tiny house rules in the country, they actually allow you to occupy full-time tiny houses on wheels and backyards. However, when it comes term to renting them short-term, no way cannot do it. So my first piece of advice really is if you're going to look at a tiny house or or talk about a tiny house, you kind of have to understand that you're going a little bit into no man's land in that regard. So my second piece of advice would be just to sit down and decide, you know, what are your goals? If you want to get up and running relatively quickly, if you have cash or access to credit, especially for instance, for a for a hospitality option, not a bad option to buy an already built tiny house by a professional certified tiny house builder. You can get your Airbnb again up and running fairly quickly unless, or if you like the process, if you have building skills, if you have an uncle that's a contractor, it's a lot, you know, you, again, you'll be, you'll be paying yourself back a lot faster if you do the work of designing it yourself or building it yourself or, or, 
you know, you and your uncle and, you know, in a neighborhood building it. So my second piece of advice would be really understand what are your goals, because that also drives the design. My house that I live in has a washer and a dryer and, and a lot of, and it has an oven and all, none of my hospitality units have an oven or a washer or dryer because they're not built or designed to be, you know, full-time occupied. So my second piece of advice is understand and truly be honest with yourself about what it is you're going to use it for and what are your financial goals and then kind of let that drive drive the next step. That's brilliant. I'm I'm you. you know it's going around in my head now. I mean I've I've got 2 acres. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's next for Michelle's um, tiny homes then? What, how many, how many will you, I mean, will you stop? Will you just make this a, a, a tiny home city? So I'll tell you what, every single time I tell everyone in my, my circle of influence that the one I'm working on now is the last one, they all laugh. So, um, however, I can say without controversy that the one I'm working on now called my tiny wine wagon. That one will be the last tiny house that's on this piece of property for sure. Because as I said, I'm Mm -hmm. out of electricity. Like, you know, I can't plug anymore. However, that's not stopping me. So I recently, I'm going to, I'm now starting a, we'll call it, I guess an offshoot, but they're still tiny. They're still designed by me. They're still colorful. They're still on wheels. They're still rentable. Um, but I'm starting a new little fleet of teardrop rentals. That is great. I see. I see these little teardrop trailers going up and down the highway. I mean, I've I've got, and I'm, I I used to think that was tiny, a 36 foot um, RV. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and and you know I can sometimes get, you know get passed by one of these little teardrop trailers being pulled by just an ordinary sedan. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So they, so the ones, you know, my, my first two in the fleet, the first, my first one um, arrived just a few days ago. My second one will be here in a, in a few weeks. And so again, the concept is that, you know, they can be pulled by anybody. And I think it's, a, you know, it's a great, I guess you would call it service or augmenting of my existing business model. You know, people come to the village and they can either stay in a tiny house or they can, you know, hook up one of the teardrop trailers and take it with them. So I've launched another brand called Oregon Teardrop Rentals, you know, dot com. And so it's a way for me to continue to expand and the booking process. So the, the platform for those rentals is very, very, very similar to Airbnb. There's two different booking platforms. But I think everybody's sort of rolling their eyes because they're like, I can't believe you took on a new business. But I think it's going to be very similar to the existing process. People send me a booking request. I send them a, an entry, you know, an, an, an original greeting. They, you know, we verify that their car either does or does not have a hitch. If it doesn't, then I, you know, I'll help them pay for one. And you just, and then they come and there's a check-in process and a checkout process. My house cleaners have already agreed that they will be on staff and available to clean of course, as the teardrops are returned, they need to be cleaned and flipped for the next one. So I think it's a logical, it's a super logical extension of my existing business model. And they're cheaper, they're easier, much, much cheaper than tiny houses. They're much, much easier to scale than tiny houses because they don't take 15 months, of, you know, to, mm-hmm. to build. So 
I think it's a logical extension. Of course, I'm really excited about it. We'll see. Maybe by this time next year, my vision is, you know, the five tiny houses and then maybe probably four teardrops. And then we'll see. I, I keep on saying, that's it. I need to, you know, travel or retire or do something else. We'll just see. I Again, I still have a like a regular full-time like corporate office job too. So I think I'm probably pushing the boundaries of even my own capabilities at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michelle, this has been absolutely fascinating, and I, you know, thank. I wish I wish I had so much more time. Um, I want to collect all the uh, the information on all these all the tiny homes, so I can put them in the show notes, and you know, we can all check them out. But for now, I just want to thank you so much for joining me. I know you've been listening to the podcast for a while, anyway, and it's just an absolute pleasure to to have had you on here as a guest. Thank you very much for inviting me. You are correct. I'm, I'm like one of your biggest fans. I've heard every episode uh, and I'm, I'm one of those crazy people that will listen to an episode and you'll talk about a company and I'll immediately go to the internet and research them. And I, I try to implement all the suggestions from all the podcasts. I'm crazy like that. So I uh, thank you for the invitation. I'm, I'm immensely humble and thank you for your, your dedication to the Airbnb and to the hospitality industry and, and um, all the advice that you give everyone every week. It is so valuable. And I, and I look forward to meeting you at some event. I'm sure I'm going to make it to an event eventually. And thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm immensely humble. Well, I think maybe I'll come to a tiny homes event now and watch you on stage. <laughs> yes, actually, if you would like, I'd like to extend the, the invitation. If you'd like, come on over to Australia. <laughs> so I'm going to be a speaker at the tiny house festival in Australia the second week of March. And I've been invited to go there and also teach a workshop. And as you can well imagine, I'm quite excited about that. So maybe, maybe I'll see you in Australia. We've actually got plenty of listeners in Australia. So hopefully we'll, we, we can put a link to that as well. So, so maybe yeah. we sort of begin to get this network together. Michelle, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. Well, that was a real hoot. I I really want to meet Michelle in person. Um, I'm not going to get to Australia. It uh, that <laughs> that clashes with the VRMA Europe conference next year in Lisbon. So I'm already committed to that. But one day, Michelle, we shall get together. Uh, there's a lot of like-mindedness there, and and I think we would have some real fun. Uh, I'm totally blown away with the idea of the teardrop rentals and I've been looking them up you know there's just so much opportunities as I started out on this episode talking about all the different types of accommodation that are now being offered you know the the choice is just so enormous so you know if you haven't got a home a, a big house, a 2,000 square foot house that you want to put up on, uh, up, up for rental. And I'm not going to say on Airbnb because I think everybody should have their own website showcasing their unique properties. Don't just leave them on Airbnb for people to find because more and more of these unique spaces are going to be popping up and then yours are just perhaps going to disappear and they may not be as unique anymore. So you do need your own website. I know this is same old record over and over again, but uh, hopefully if I just get one person, 
every so often to go, ah, yeah, she's right. I'm going to get my own website. Then my job is done. Well, it's not done, but it's, it's sort of on the way there. Mike came across a really neat site that he wanted you to hear. Hi, it's Mike Bayer here, CEO of Vacation Rental Formula, with another weekly resource. Um, and with this uh, today's episode, which has been about tiny houses, we found this great website that I think if you're interested in getting into the tiny house market, um, you should check out tinyhouselistings.com. So tinyhouselistings.com really covers you know all properties across North America that are currently for sale. Um, there are existing builds, so you don't have to worry about getting into you know creating your own design. And this is also a great website to give you ideas if you are planning on creating your own tiny house. So check out tinyhouselistings.com. Check out the search engine. Go through, see if there's any properties in your area, and maybe this is a niche that you might be able might want to get into. So head over to tinyhouselistings.com and uh, maybe that'll work for your business. Thank you, Mike. That was a great tip. And I will also be going to have a look at tinyhouselistings.com. Don't forget everything we've talked about today, and there will be a lot from this episode, will be on the show notes. So I'd love you to go there and take a look. And of course, while you're there, Please leave us a comment. Tell us what you liked. Tell us about your tiny house or your unique property. And you can share that with everybody else then. So today's book, today's book of the week. So the book of the week is Everybody Writes by Anne Handley. Subtitle is your go-to guide for creating ridiculously good content. And I love this book. I'm doing a lot more writing these days. And despite the fact that I have been doing writing for years and years, I'm getting into it a little bit more seriously. I want to start submitting to some you know, well-known magazines with, with some of my articles. I'm always in the of the mindset that you've got to be constantly learning. So I've pulled out Everybody Writes again, and I'm starting that book um, from, from scratch. And I've, I've got a fair way through it this time. And I just keep going back and highlighting and making notes because there's so much in it that um, I can use to make my writing better. Now, Anne starts by saying, you know, Everybody can write, but we all think we can't, or many of us think we can't write. And, and in fact, we can. And, and the whole process of writing has changed. If you look at, you look at the ways, way newsletters come to you and content comes to you online these days, it's not big, dense paragraphs anymore. It's short, succinct sentences because people don't have the time to read lots of dense text. We all know that. We know that our guests don't ever read the manual. They don't read what we send them. So we have to be really careful about how we how we create our listings, um, how we put our content together, how we do our email marketing campaigns, etc. So this book is separated into six parts. Number one is is just simply how to write better and how to how to hate writing less. And it's just a, a good summary on the fact on, on how writing has changed and 
how it actually makes it easier for you now. Secondly, the one that you know you have to look at, but you don't want to, grammar and usage. And Anne includes some grammar tools and some rules to help just to help choose better words and craft better sentences and paragraphs. And there are just a few words, a, a, a few rules to learn, and then you're on your way. Number three, part three is story rules, how to infuse content with heart and soul and integrity. And as Anne says, layer it with a warm blanket of trust. And if you've read my book on hypnotic writing, you'll understand where Anne was coming from when writing this line, because in all writing, we're trying to appeal to everybody. And we each have different ways in which we see our worlds. Some people see it more visually or from an auditory standpoint. Others see it more kinesthetically with a touchy-feely style. And that's what Anne was getting at which she said, when she said, infusing content with heart and soul and integrity and layer it with a warm blanket of trust. So she's going to teach you how to write like that. Number four is publishing rules. Just the ground rules of journalism and publishing, really about editing, proofreading, getting it right before you put it out there. Number five is a tactical look at marketing tasks, the things that you have to do to get your content out there. And part six is content tools, and it's just a reference list of resources for you. So while this isn't the definitive book on writing or grammar or publishing, it does offer really useful guideposts on the path towards better writing. My favorite quote from this book says, start with empathy, continue with utility, improve with analysis and optimize with love. And if you don't really understand what that's saying, you're going to have to read the book to find out. It's my book of the week. It's Everybody Writes by Anne Handley. So go check that one out. And of course, there's a link to it in the show notes. So that's it for this week, folks. Another week of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast Bites the Dust. And I hope you've really enjoyed listening. As ever, I love to hear from you. I love to get your emails. So do send them to me at heather at vacationrentalformula.com. Now that I'm going into my down, what I call my down months, you know, the, the summer is over, the busy, busy, busy season is done, and we now have time to do all the things that got put on the back burner for, for all those months, for all those months from, from February, March time, when the booking season really got off the ground right the way through to the beginning of September. So, so this is the time when we take a deep breath and answer those emails that have been sitting in the inbox for far too long. So if you email me now, you're likely to get a much quicker response than you would have done if you emailed me back in July. So thank you once again for listening. Always a pleasure to have you with me. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you and I look forward to being with you again next week.